Everybody got a Bible? If you don't have one, there's one right in the pew in front of you. And you are encouraged to follow along as we look at a few scriptures tonight. And I, um, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. And um, chapter 12. You see, whenever the Apostle Paul wanted to deal with the Corinthians about their rebellion to unify under the Holy Spirit, uh, he, he rebukes them, but he also gives them a way out of their dilemma. In other words, how to solve the problem. And we're always wanting to know, what steps can I take? You know, is step one, step two, step three, you know, what do I do? And give me a sequence. Don't give me one three things to do at any one time because I, I can't even organize a three-car funeral. So sometimes you, you can remember three things, but uh, when it gets over that there, you kind of get mixed up. So you want to keep things simple for people to understand. Now, they were loaded with all these spiritual gifts, you know, abilities that God had given to them of things they could do. But they became proud and exalted in their own minds and knowledge puffeth up. But they had very little love. And so therefore there was envy and backbiting, sins going on and nobody, you know, rebuking them. So it was kind of like a Wild West Church. Do anything that you want. And that's pretty much what was going on. So the Apostle Paul, you know, deals with certain problems. And so I just want to kind of skip up here to chapter 12 and show you that even though he makes a statement, see back there in chapter 3 in verse 8, when he says, uh, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, the individual responsibility. So remember, going to heaven is free. That's the gift. That's to show us how much God loves us. Now, we may not serve the Lord, but we shouldn't be hypocritical about it either. You see, these believers were being very hypocritical, claiming to be spiritual, but they were very carnal. It's one thing when you're just totally cold to the things of the Lord, but when you try to give the appearance that you're on fire for the Lord, but it's not for real. And so, therefore, God says, you're lukewarm and you make him sick. So, there's some people that, um, well, they needed to be dealt with. So, in chapter 12, he breaks it down and he shows them things that everybody has. In other words, when we were all lost, we were all in the same boat. So, when we got saved, we all got saved because we heard the same gospel. Because there's only one gospel. We all got saved by hearing that same truth. And then after we trusted Christ as our Savior, God gave all of us the Holy Spirit. So I have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. We all have the same Holy Spirit. And God has given to us only one Bible, so we've got a Bible, and it uh, says the same thing to all of us. So there are a lot of things that God has done that, you know, for everybody, that's all equal. So we're all called the children of God. We're all going home someday. And he says this. You'll notice what he says in verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts. Same spirit. In other words, there's only one God, but he's given to us different ministries. We don't all get to preach behind the pulpit. We don't all get to play the instruments. All of us can't come up here and sit on the bench and play the piano. That'd be fun to watch. 
We all can't come up here and play Dan's guitar. Might do better. No, I'm just talking. We can't all do the exact same thing. Not everybody plays that organ. Not everybody. Let's all go back there and we'll sit in the sound booth and we'll all work the sound system. Well, then who's going to be out here to hear anything? We all can't go up there to that little old booth up there and run the camera. There's different ministries. But there's one God behind us. There's one Holy Spirit that is to teach us how to do the things that God wants us to do. A lot of things the same. And so collectively, we're to work in unison. But also to realize that um, there's an individual responsibility. Now notice what he says in verse 5. There are differences of administration, but same Lord. There are diversities of operation, but it is the same God that worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to, and here's that word, individually, every man for something. Why did God give you the Holy Spirit? Right there, to profit. You see, when you study the book of James in chapter 2, it makes a statement about how all shall a young man, you know, profit. And that is because, you see, everything is going to be judged by whether or not did you or did you not have profit in your life. But what profiteth a man if he loses Gains the whole world, loses soul, the purpose of his life. And so he's talking about you and I as a child of God having profit in our life. Like a, a business, you either have profit and loss. Whoever you work for, if they don't have profit, they're going to fire you because they can't keep you unless they can make money to pay you. So every business has got to have profit. That's the way, only way they can stay in business. With you and I, God left us in this world and gave us what we need to profit. So that when we get to heaven, God's going to reward us for our profit. Our time God gives us to live is just so that we can have a time to spend our money. So God gives us the Holy Spirit. He's given us a body, given us some truths. He says, go into all world, spread the truth. And God's going to reward each and every one of us for how we fulfilled our responsibility. But every person is responsible. Notice what else he says. In verse 8, for to one is given the spirit of wisdom, another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, another faith by the same spirit, to another the gift of healing by the same spirit. Now all these in verse 10, but all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit divided to every man severally as he will or individually as he will. So every individual has been blessed by God with a ministry. Many Christians never find out what it is because they never seek to serve the Lord. And you can only find out what God wants you to do by getting involved in doing something. And you'll find out there's some things you can do better than others. And you'll find out there's a way that can, the Christian life ought to be something that we can enjoy. Who wants to have a job you're totally miserable with all your life? But serving the Lord ought to be joy. There is joy in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And a lot of Christians don't have strength because they don't have joy. And they don't have joy because they're not happy knowing what they're doing. So many, it's a miserable life. That's not what God wants. And when you're miserable, misery loves. And buddy, you just make everybody around you miserable. And you become envious and jealous and backbiting and comparing. And all the things that God says not to do, we wind up doing. Now, 
When you get down here into the latter part of this chapter, you'll find out that the Bible says we are all baptized into one body. See that down in verse 12? He says in verse 12, For uh, as the body is one and hath many members, all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all. You notice that throughout the book of Corinthians, the word all is used an awful lot of times. He says we all are baptized into one body, whether it be Jew or Gentile, whether it be bond or free. And have all been made to drink into one spirit. So every one of us have all been placed in Christ. We all have been given the Holy Spirit. We have all been given ministries. But our ministry may be different. But we're both and individually to be in subjection to the one that gave us that ministry. So you're to check with the Lord and find out, am I fulfilling my ministry? And somebody else is asking the Lord, Lord, am I fulfilling my ministry? See, if this person is yielding to the Lord, and this person is yielding to the Lord, you know, they might be able to work together. True? When there's what we call personality clashes. You ever heard of personality clashes? No, it's sin. S-I-N. That's what's the problem. Somebody don't like what somebody else is doing. And just think about this. You have enough just controlling yourself. Just doing what God wants you to do. Then notice this. Look over in verse 27. Verse 27 is, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in, and here's that word, it's very important, particular. In other words, you are a different individual. You're not the other person. They're not you. So therefore, if God in heaven has saved you, you are important. You are his child. You have eternal life. You have the Holy Spirit. You have been given a ministry. Now you find out what it is that God has for you. And you'd be surprised that as you learn that, you become so satisfied because you're doing what God wants you to do. And you don't rate yourself as you compare yourself with somebody else. And that's where you run into an awful lot of trouble. Now hold your place right here. Just look over there in 2 Corinthians in chapter 10. Hold your place where you are. 2 Corinthians in chapter 10. I want you to see this very quickly. And notice in verse 12. Verse 12. This is on page 1237. And you'll notice what he says in verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are what? Not wise. You don't know anybody that does that, do you? Aren't you glad we don't have anybody like that does that around here? We're not to compare and say, well, I know I'm doing a good job. Why? Because I'm doing it better than she is. I'm doing more than her. No, you as an individual, you're responsible to do. What is it that God wants you to do? How much do you want God? Just like this. When it comes to the church and our service for the Lord and all that, me and Betty, and this is the truth, we don't worry about how much somebody else does or don't do. We just do all we can do. And so, <laughs> this was so funny. Well, it wasn't really funny, but it did happen. On um, yesterday morning, we always set the clock to get up at 5 o'clock on the Saturday morning. You know, the last Saturday of the month. What do we do here on the last Saturday of the month? Men's Bible study. And that breakfast just automatically appears. 
No, it does not matter. So anyway, we went to bed, and the alarm goes off. Betty gets up, got up before the clock went off. And all of a sudden, I got a phone call. It was Carolyn. Carolyn called and says, where are you? I says, what's wrong? Oh, no, we're an hour off. It was 6 o'clock. Supposed <laughs> to have been there. Well, put been at six o'clock. We haven't even left. She's outside the church over here waiting to get in. So anyway, that's the fastest I have ever seen my wife move. She was out of that house, a lickety split, and in the car, and then she was up here, and two shakes of a dead cat's tail. And um, anyway, they got in, and uh, they cooked us a wonderful breakfast. But now, what if these ladies didn't do that? There are some men that would go hungry. But we love and we appreciate what they do, because men, they really fix us a, a great breakfast. And so we enjoy that. But now, see, nobody makes them do that except their husbands. No. <laughs> but isn't it wonderful that they, they do it because they want to do it, because they just don't want to hear us complain? Because <laughs> otherwise, Dan would have to wind up cooking, and we don't want that. So the Lord uses different people. And so just don't worry about, am I putting in more time than I should? Just, just, just serve the Lord. Whatever you do, wherever you go, just serve the Lord and enjoy it. The Christian life isn't a life of boredom and misery. It's exciting. And when you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror and you say, you tiger, you don't you ever die. <laughs> and uh, it might look like you've been baptized in lemon juice, but put a smile on your face and be a little excited. But you don't compare yourself with what somebody else does. Well, I do more work than they do. What do you care is God going to reward you for what you did? Well, aren't you doing it for him? Well, then you're working for him. And if somebody else helps, well, that's fine. If they don't help, well, that's fine. It's not always easy, but sometimes you have to carry a little bit more. But God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. That's in Hebrews in chapter 6. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love. Because, see, well, if you did it for the Lord... It doesn't matter if anybody else sees it or appreciates it, pats you on the back and all that. It won't matter. Why? Because I did it for the Lord and God saw it and God's keeping the books. And when I get to heaven, he's going to reward me. So I ain't worried about it. But if you do it to, to please people, well, then people don't always appreciate what you do and you're going to get your feelings hurt. And we get your feelings hurt and nobody appreciates me. And you'll go, I have a, you know, the rocks in my rock garden died. And you're going to weep and wail and gnash your teeth. That's because you did it for people. And, well, I quit because nobody appreciates me. Well, la-dee-da. Is that why you were doing it? So everybody will appreciate me. So I can be somebody. God said, you don't do that. If Jesus came into this world, he lived a perfect life. And everybody turned, well, if all of y'all are going to turn against me, I'm not going to the cross. I'll show you. Wouldn't that have been Wonderful. When there was people of mocking him and down at the cross and looking up at him. If you're who you say you're, why don't you come down here and save yourself and save us? Go ahead. Now me, I ought to come down there and slap their jaws and went back up. <laughs> but back there in 1 Corinthians, look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He makes a statement in verse 28. And God hath set some in the church for apostles, prophets, teachers, those that miracles, gifts of healing, helps, government, diversities of tongues. Now look in verse 29. It's what God has done for all, but not all have the same ministry. And he's explaining what it means. Is everybody an apostle? What's the answer? 
No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. All workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. So not everybody has the same ministry, but we all have a ministry. And the Holy Spirit works in every last one of us. So that's why you don't have to be envious of what somebody else does because you're just going to be thinking, I'm glad I can do what God wants me to do. I just want to please God in whatever God has for me and to be content with that and just do the best you can with what you got. Some people always, well, if I had his talent, I could do that too. If I could sing like so-and-so, or if I could play the piano like Jan, if, oh, if I could just play the piano like Jan, wouldn't I be somebody? Well, Jan can play the piano and she doesn't think she's somebody. But she's good. What would we do without her? So you have people that's got certain talents and abilities, but don't, like somebody sees somebody and they say, oh, if I could just do that. Yeah, but maybe God didn't want you to do that. God wants you to do something else. You just do what God wants you to do. Now, take your Bible and go back there to chapter 9. Chapter 9. And you'll notice that the Apostle Paul had a vision. He had a, a reason to do what he did. He says, I am free from all men. You say, does he really say that? Well, he kind of he says that he was free from all men. You say, where does it say that? I knew you were going to ask that, but look in verse 19. For though I be, well, there it is right there, free from all men, yet have I made my servant unto what? All. In other words, though I'm free, I made myself a servant. You see, God will not make you serve him. God doesn't make you trust him, and God won't make you serve him. I decided after I heard the gospel, that makes sense to me. I'd be a fool to turn that down, so I trusted Christ as my Savior. He gives me eternal life. I'm going to heaven when I die. Uh, then the Bible says that if I would serve him, God would bless me. Well, I want God to bless me. He will reward me when I get to heaven. Well, I want that. Whatever it is, I want it. I don't know what they are. I don't really care, but if God says it's worth it, it's going to be worth it. And I want everything I can get that God can give for me. Did you know that it delights God, it pleases God to give us things? You have kids? Weren't you excited about maybe even on Christmas you gave them something special? You enjoyed giving. Wait till the grandkids come along. And they'll milk you for everything you got. They'll play up to you. They'll just love you, and you're the greatest in the world. Great-grandpa, great-grandma, and they just know Christmas is coming. Of course, they won't do it for that reason. But don't you love giving? Don't you love expressing and giving to somebody? The Lord says it's more blessed to give than to receive. You might as well like it because <laughs> very few are going to give to you. You might as well learn to give. So you learn to, it's more blessed to give than to receive because there's joy there in giving. Now here you are, you've got an opportunity. You're free, free to choose. You're free to choose to serve the Lord and you're free not to serve the Lord. But there's consequences to your choice. If I choose to serve the Lord, God promised to bless me and reward me. If I choose not to serve the Lord, then God can chasten me, maybe take me home before my time. So I'm free to choose, and God's going to do whatever according to my decision. 
So since I know that, it makes my decision very important, doesn't it? I mean, what I decide is very critical. It can make a lot of difference in my life. So once you understand it, it will be a blessing to you. So Paul goes down through here and he says, I am going to run a race. Look down in verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run, and here's the word, all, all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. So here in competition, we often go to little, you know, places where we watch kids run and compete, and they run and somebody wins. Now, they didn't got it today where everybody gets a reward. I don't like that at all. That's just uh, new stuff. But it ain't worth the quarter. Well, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. No. If you lost, you lost. Deal with it. Grow up. And if you win, learn how to deal with that. But you win or you lose. He said, if you're going to run in a race, run to win. And that's why he says, so run. Now, what are we running after? We're running after souls. I have become a servant to all that I might gain. So he's running to win, running to win souls. So therefore, in verse 26, he says, I therefore so run. Paul said, I run. And the reason he's running is because he, he wants to run and play according to the rules. In every sport, there's rules. There's an out of bounds. You've got to touch the base uh, after you hit the ball. And then you've got to run. And somebody throws the ball, if they get there before you get to the first base, you're out. But if you get there first, you're safe. So you learn that there are rules and regulations in everything that you do. And with the Lord, God's word has a lot of do's and don'ts. That if you want God to bless you, he said, now don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. And he said, I want you to do this, and then do this, and do this. So there's things to do. There's things not to do. But this isn't to get to heaven. Going to heaven is what he did for us. Now he said, I want to bless your life and I want to use you and I want you to be fit for the ministry. God said, I gave you a ministry. And he wants us to discipline ourselves so that uh, he might be able to use us for his honor and glory. Now, here in the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll notice when it gets down to chapter 10, here we see this same principle all over again. All, 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 all. See, look in verse uh, 1. So there are five privileges that are mentioned here. And there's also five sins that are mentioned here. And he's letting them know that what God did for the children of Israel, when he brought them out of Egypt, he brought them all out of Egypt. They all crossed the Red Sea. They all went into the wilderness. They all had that pillar of fire and that cloud. By, they all had it. They all got the drink of that spiritual rock when they was thirsty. And Moses smote the rock and the water came out. They all got to eat some of that manna that came down from heaven. They all got some of the same benefits. Well, that's the same as us. All. We all got saved the same way, by faith alone and Christ alone. Now notice what it says in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant of how that our 
fathers, all our fathers, were under the cloud. They all had the exact same protection. And all passed through the sea. They all had the same guidance. And were all baptized unto Moses. They all had the same counseling. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And then you'll notice, and did all eat the same spiritual meat. And did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. So they all had the same presence of the Lord even back there in the wilderness. So look at all the things that God did for all of them. They all had the same. So you see, what God did for you, He did for me. When He died on the cross, well, didn't He pay for your sins just like He paid for my sins? When He saved me by faith alone, and He saved you by faith alone, how much more do I owe Him than you? Or do you owe Him more than I do? We don't owe Him anything, but we can, as a child of God, volunteer to serve the Lord. And you know what God wants more than anything else in the world? Is He wants us to love Him. See, that's one of the things I believe that when God was in heaven and he had made all creation, <laughs> could it be possible that God was lonely? I don't know. Remember, he made a man and a woman and God walked in the garden and talked to them because God was lonely. God wanted somebody to talk to. God wanted somebody to love him. And so God wanted us to love him by choice. So in order to have us choose to love him, you have to be able to choose not to love him. Otherwise, we're nothing more than robots and programmed to all perfectly obey without a will. So God gave us a free will, set us free to choose. Because God wants you and God wants me to love him because he's God. Love him because of what he's done for us. And if you're not going to love God for that, you probably never love anything for real. And there's nothing in this world worth loving because everything you're going to have is you're going to lose. So therefore, God wants something from you. God wants you to love him more than the things that he's made, more than the world itself. And that love for the Lord is what will help you restrain your life from doing those things that offend God. That is wrong. And so it helps you to guard yourself because you don't want to do something that brings shame upon God because you're his child. And you should not, as a child of God, bring shame upon your dad. But now notice what he says here. Look now in verse 6. Now these things were our examples to the intent. So is it the will of God for us to study the Old Testament, in order to know what we can learn from it. You see, in the book of Romans, in chapter 15, in verse 1, down to verse 3, it talks about that the things in the Old Testament were written aforehand for our learning, that we might learn to put our confidence, our trust, our hope in the Lord. And we do that by seeing what did God do for them? Well, look what God did for these children of Israel. But what he did, he didn't show favorites. He did the same for all of them. But did they all respond the same way? When they had 12 spies go into the land, 
They all came back. Did they all have the same report? Did the ten who had a bad report affect anybody? The whole nation of Israel. It affected them. Joshua and Caleb says, we can do this. We can take this land. We got God's word on it. Yes, but we're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're giants, the children of Anak. We can't go in there. Oh, everything God promised was just like he said. Land of milk and honey. And it was only 11 days journey from Kadesh Barnea into the Holy Land. And so because of their unbelief, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years going an 11 days journey. All because of not believing what God says. And some of God's children are still running around in the wilderness. And 40 years later, they're still running around in the wilderness. They never got to the milk and the honey. They never matured in the Christian life. Because they didn't learn from examples. So notice what he says. He made this statement in verse 6. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things. As they also lusted. In other words, so that you don't do what they did. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Is it possible that you could learn from what somebody else goes through? And some of the faults that they have and the consequences of their life? Wouldn't it be better to learn from what you see than having to experience it yourself? I mean, if there's a big old hole down here and there's got rattlesnakes in there, and I just saw, lo and behold, Dan Hall just walked over there and jumped down in that pit to see what, how bad it was. And it's loaded with rattlesnakes. And I can hear Dan hollering, it's, they're biting me. It hurts. Get me out of here. So I walk over there and jump in with him. Now, does that help him? No. You see, you can learn from what somebody else does that's wrong. And so you can learn, you know what? I would be foolish to do that same thing. I'm not going to jump in there. And so there's some Christians that just go blindly and just follow whatever somebody else does. Wait a minute. Follow the word of God. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light by which we are guided. So you use the word of God, know the word of God, stay within the boundaries of the word of God, and God will bless you. But now notice, in verse 7, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. Now see, not, not all of them did it. Not all of them committed the same sins. But they did all sin. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You say, oh, it's like a kindergarten on the playground. No, that's not what he's talking about. Their plan was a, a wicked sin. And they were, this is when Moses came down from the mount. And he had the Ten Commandments. Who's the first person that ever broke all Ten Commandments? Moses. <laughs> he broke them. And what did God make him do? He had to go back up and get another set. So there's consequence, but they were worshiping some idol out of a golden calf. So, well, Aaron, well, what happened? What well, the people made me do it. Lion is dying, but blame, blame, blame. 
And so he says in verse 8, neither let us commit fornication. In chapter 5, had somebody already done this? Anybody already guilty? Look what it says. Neither let us commit fornication. Sex outside of marriage is wrong. And some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. We get upset because 3,000 people died when 9-11 with the towers. Three and 20,000 died because somebody was committing fornication. But not everybody did the same sin. You see in verse 9, neither let us tempt God. That means to daring to disobey is tempting God. Daring to disobey is tempting God because you're trying to say, how much can I do before God zaps me or slaps me or spanks me, corrects me? And everyone wants to see just how far can I go on my own, do whatever I want, my own direction, before God gets upset. So some people will occasionally go to church just to keep God from whipping them. Or occasionally give some money to the church so that, uh, you know, maybe that'll keep God off my back. And so they just play this little game. And you, when you don't fully give your heart to the Lord and serve God the way God wants, you never know when your heavenly Father is going to chasten you. And you don't know exactly how he's going to chasten you. It's going to happen, but when? How severe? And remember, different individuals, you are free to choose whatever sin you want to commit. And your heavenly Father is free to choose how he wants to punish you. Isn't that fair? Now, some people he may put in the hospital. Some he might put you in a wheelchair. And some, he says, are weak. Some are sick. Some are dead. You see, God doesn't play games. You can't go against God and win. There's consequences to our decisions. So he makes a statement up here, do not tempt Christ. What was the devil trying to tempt Christ to do? He says, Jump off this little pentacle up here, and the angels are going to, they're not going to let you touch a stone that's going to hurt your little foot. Are you hungry? Well, he hasn't ate in 40 days. If you're who you claim to be, why don't you take some of these stones and turn them into bread? Could he have done that? He could have. But he answered every problem that Satan gave to him and every challenge with the scriptures. And that's the way you learn how to defeat the devil, and you resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now get this. God sent serpents among the people. Remember, because of their murmuring and complaining, and the serpents came among the people, and they bit the people, and they were dying. And so, it says, put up a brazen serpent upon a pole, and tell the people, if they would look, they would live. And that's all they had to do was look, and they would live. They didn't have to do anything. Just look, see that serpent, and they would live. The Bible says that Jesus used the same illustration in winning Nicodemus to himself. So he tells them there in John chapter 3, verse 14 15, before you ever get this great verse 16, he says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. 
And if all they had to do with the serpent was look and live. When it comes to Christ, all you have to do is look and live. And when you see Jesus Christ dying, paying for your sins, and he was buried and came back from the dead, he did it for you. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't deserve it. It's the gift of God. Now, look at the last thing here. In verse 10, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Did you know it's a great sin to murmur, to complain, whine? I didn't say it. God says it. He says because of that, they're not satisfied. They weren't satisfied with the manna from heaven. They weren't satisfied that their clothes never wore out for 40 years. I'd like to find out where that store is that they bought all those things. You know, their shoes never wore out for 40 years. And I thought, how many pairs of shoes have I had to buy? And how many clothes have worn out? But think about that, how God protected them. For 40 years, their shoes. <laughs> wife says, honey, when are you going to buy me a new dress? Well, as soon as that one wears out. <laughs> Well, honey, I've had it 38 years. It's good for two more. <laughs> and then he says this in verse 11. Now, all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come, the ages. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. This is chapter 8 and verse 2. Knowledge puffs up. And so, therefore, they're on the verge of falling because they're exalting themselves against God. And so there's warnings that God puts into his word. All this is warning, giving them illustrations. See, Paul tried, well, I should not say try, uh, through the Holy Spirit, God told Paul what to do. This is divine scripture. And so the Holy Spirit tells Paul, this is what you do. You correct error by truth. Give them the truth of the doctrine. And so you study doctrine. Now notice what he says there in verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, which is what happened to those people in Israel. And all the temptations they had are the same problems we have. We're tempted the same identical way. But such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer or permit you to be tempted above that you're able but will with the temptation, get this, also make a way to escape. So with every problem, every temptation, there is a way to escape. If a person wants to escape, you can escape. If you don't want to escape, you can't find a way. It's not my fault. I couldn't help myself. Yes, you could. And then he says this, that you may be able to bear it. You may not enjoy the trials and the tribulations. You're going to have them. They're going to come. That's why he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge you what I say. Can you discern what I'm telling you? Well, remember, this goes all the way back to chapter 2 and talks about that they were not able to discern. I want you to discern this. I could not speak on you as a spiritual, but as under carnal. Can you understand it? Can you get this? And so he's laid it out for them, and it's so important for them to get. So God saved all of us. Gave us all the Holy Spirit. Gave us some time to live. And we're going to have to answer to the Lord for the time that God's given us. So we're the one to decide how we're going to use this time. As I look back over the years, I'm 
I'm glad that I went ahead and decided to, you know, I've enjoyed seeing the fruits of obedience. I've also watched people who were disobedient, and I saw how God has dealt in their life. And so I don't have any regrets of doing it. I believe that if I didn't, I would have regretted it very severely. I just got a nice letter, a picture of um, a young couple that just got married. And they told me that they are from my legacy. And I know what they meant. Because the young boy that just got married, well, I led his mother to the Lord. And the girl that got married to the boy, well, I led her dad to the Lord. So since I had a part in their parents' salvation, because I explained the gospel, and one is Jim and Ann Bollinger. You remember Jim Bollinger? I led Jim to the Lord. And then Nancy Patterson was Nancy Jackson. I led her to the Lord. And so they both had a child, and now those kids grew up, and they married each other. They are two beautiful children. And I just thank the Lord for them. And so they sent me a nice little card with a picture on it and all. So it was great. And I thought, some more of my grandkids. These are grandkids. So if you do not know for certain where you're going to go when you die, there's only one way to get to heaven. It's not by your works. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You cannot buy it. This hand represents you and me. Their wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us, but he hates our sin. For us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. As righteous as God. No one's perfect. We have all sinned and come short of God's perfection. So God says we cannot save ourselves. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord, God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us. Hates our sin because... Our sin separates from the Lord. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So he took all the sins of the whole world, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead, and said if we would believe he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. Let's pray, shall we? With head bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, right now is a good time to do it. We're not going to have you forward. We're not going to embarrass you. Nothing to fill out. And uh, there's nothing for you to give. Salvation is free. Would you trust Christ as your Savior? If you trust Christ right now as your Savior, God saves you right now and gives you eternal life. If you're watching by Internet, right on the screen says, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. And if you'll just click that on, it lets us know that somebody heard and understood and trusted the Lord. And that is such a blessing for us. Not to be saved, but because you have trusted Christ as your Savior. I pray that you will. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for loving us, for giving us eternal life. And Father, there's things you've done for every individual all the same. And there's certain things, Lord, that you ask us to do, and some of those things are different. There's a different ministry that we may have. But Father, we're to be found faithful. I ask your blessings upon each one here. Use them for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.